This is The Wealth Puzzle with Michael Mansfield from The Lynn Group. When a part of your financial strategy is out of tune, your long-term goals, your retirement savings, and your legacy can all suffer. With many years of experience in the financial industry, Michael provides his clients and prospects with the information they need regarding Social Security, Retirement Income Planning, Wealth Management, and much more. Listen in as we address your financial concerns and provide helpful solutions to put you on the path to achieving your retirement goals. And now, here is The Wealth Puzzle with Michael Mansfield. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. This is Mike Mansfield. This is a solo flight today of The Wealth Puzzle. There is no Tana, there is no Connor, it is just me. You know, and as I do these once in a while, they're always painful to have no one to listen to my silly jokes or bounce things off of. So, hey, I appreciate everyone tuning in though. Um, Tana was uh, out of town today and, and I had some other activities, so I just needed to get in. I wanted to check in with everybody. It's been an interesting few weeks. Markets obviously continues to be tumultuous. You know, I've gotten a lot of feedback from our last couple shows. You know, our two shows ago, we did one where we said we see the bottom. What we talked about in that show was what were the catalysts we need to see the stock market go up quite a bit through the end of the year. It was kind of a three-part uh, cake we're baking here. Number one is we need earnings coming in. We're still in the infancy of that. Only a handful of earnings have come in. Been a little hit and miss. Happy to see, though, the last two days that the bank earnings are coming out a little stronger. The um, the risks inside of their uh, loan departments, mortgages, things of that nature. It doesn't seem like there's a much going on there. Those are all positives. Part two of our cake bacon here is we need some interesting action in the midterms. And then part three is finally some consensus that inflation is rolling over. We get those three things. We get the market rocking and rolling pretty hard here. So anyways, um, you know, since that video, to be fair, the market's just basically been flat. Hasn't really done much one way or another. We've had some big moves, which are interesting. We're going to talk about them. Uh, the other video that we did a couple weeks ago, well, we talked about October 13th. Well, that was last week. It absolutely did not disappoint. October 13th, the uh, CPI, Consumer Price Index numbers come out. They come out a little hot, unfortunately. Comes out, um, you know, not advantageous. Incredibly, though, we have the stock market drop 500 points in the moment when the report comes out. And then this thing rockets up like a missile, right? This thing goes up almost 900 points. Uh, amazingly, it was historical. The moves on October 13th was the fifth largest swing in the stock market ever recorded. So it was historical. It's just been bouncing around uh, since then. Um, once again, Inflation is an important piece of the puzzle for the stock market to grind higher. It'll allow the Federal Reserve to kind of soften their stance on rate increases. But anyways, kind of fast forwarding to what I wanted to talk about today. There have been some very interesting things anecdotally uh, come into place. One is what we call breath. We had some very strong breath a couple of weeks ago. And so let me uh, pop something up on the screen here. You'll notice that my, uh, let's see. Tried to go with the Halloween background. We got Halloween creeping up. And, uh, you know, you never know when the next show is coming out. So I thought I'd do the spooky Halloween background for anybody watching this on YouTube or Rumble. But this is a fascinating thing. You know, it's probably a little more anecdotal than anything, like I said. But two weeks ago, the NASDAQ registered a 100% bid day. That means that every stock in the NASDAQ was positive. 
That doesn't happen very often. In fact, that has only happened six times since 1996. And the reason that I like history lessons is history is something to lean on. It is that gives us relevance. It gives us some understanding, maybe a little bit of predictability, not always because things are always evolving. But in the other six times, 100% of the time, when the NASDAQ had that 100% bid day, within six to 12 months, the stock market was up significantly, averaging a 30% increase. And so you see here on the screen, I've got the the article. I was kind of reading about it, um, trying to find some details on this. But in ISO, this has never happened before in a bear market. It's never happened during a bear market rally. And in isolation, this is considered very bullish. And so I, I have it on here very visually. Um, you can see it happened back, you know, a long time ago. And there was a handful of them coming out of the 2008 market crash. But this doesn't happen often. Does it mean something? I don't know. You know, we're going to see if, if history holds up. We're going to see if the six other times where this played out highly effectively lends to our own market cycles. But it just happened again. Now, where did it happen? I've got a chart up on the screen where I've got the S&P 500. Um, I, obviously, it was the NASDAQ, but at the end of the day, these markets are moving the same. So what I did here is I put a couple little arrows. So you see all these kind of white and black and red little boxes and squares. This is just the market cycling. If it's if it's a white box, then it was up. If it was a red box, you can guess what that means. You notice lately there's been a lot more red boxes as this bad boy's been grinding down since August. Um, what I put on there, though, is I put a blue arrow right on the day of where we called, we did our video where we see a bottom. Now, I said we see a bottom. Doesn't mean that was the bottom. But so far, it's basically the bottom. So we'll see how long that holds up for. I put a blue circle, though, around the day that this anecdotal piece of uh, data I was just talking about happened. So that day, the stock market rocketed higher. The NASDAQ, remember, 100% of the stocks in the NASDAQ were positive. And so that's the magic day that that happened. Um, I also kind of put a blue trend line on here just so you can kind of see how the market, even though it's up and down and up and down and up and down, it been rather violent lately. The reality is we're just kind of hanging out in a flat spot for the last handful of weeks. Earnings are coming out. There's a lot going on. We're a few weeks out from midterms. There is a lot going on. So we'll see how this stuff plays out. So just be patient. But once again, maybe this uh, magic NASDAQ indicator of the stock market will magically uh, give us some legs and get this thing back up. The other thing I was working on is I was looking at some different charts. So. Um, there's a lot of different things that work as, we'll say, economic tea leaves behind the scenes when you're trying to figure out how things are doing. All of the new sediment is negative. Everything we all talk about is negative. There's wars, there's chaos, there's inflation. Everything is a, a bummer on a bummer on a bummer. Um, one of the things that's getting a lot of headlines lately in the news is what's called an inverted yield curve. This is where short-term yields, so the two-year treasury, pays a higher interest rate than a 10-year. And what that is, is it talks about risk. They say that every time that the yield curve inverts, this means that it is a predictor that a recession is coming probably somewhere between six and 18 months later. Now, that's true on face value. The problem is, is there's still something missing from it. And so what happens is the yield curve inversion that everyone's talking and freaking out about right now it's always confirmed and verified by what we call credit swap spreads. 
Credit swap spreads, I'm not going to explain it. It's basically the credit market and it has to do with how much risk is in the credit markets. And so if you have an inverted yield curve and you have a spike in credit swaps, then all of a sudden behind the scenes, there are fractures and people are panicking. And so I pulled up the credit swap sweat. Bad boy, that was a tongue twister, but I pulled up the credit swap spreads chart. This goes back all the way to 1990. And so you can kind of see the historical trend of what credit swaps are doing. And where the gray bars are, those are where recessions were. So normally there's a big spike, a normal, a big run up in credit swaps before a recession hits. And you kind of see those spikes. What's happening right now? Credit swaps are elevated, but they're actually at a historical low. We're only running 30 basis points on something that tends to be somewhere between 40 and 50 basis points. I have to admit, not very exciting in the world of there's that definitive crisis that all the credit behind the scenes is falling apart. Risk is getting more expensive. Um, the institutions are panicking. Kind of moving along here. What do we got? Oh, we've got bank reserves. This is a different approach to what I've talked about many times in the last year with Tana is money supply, in our opinion, is the biggest driver of inflation. And you see here on this chart going back to the financial crisis, we noted where all of the quantitative easing events happened. And as we marked them, you'll notice what happened basically in bank reserves. They went up a lot, right? Every time that there's some kind of quantitative easing, the government bringing money into the system, banks went up and then they roll out. And so what's happening right now is because there's no quantitative easing going on, there's tightening, reserves and banks are drying up. This is actually a positive in a different way, in, our, in my opinion, based on the premise of inflationary pressure. Just like the M2 money supply, we've showed that chart to you many times. It's been flat all year. This is, a, this is another kind of variation that bank reserves are drying up, and that's a positive. Oh, we don't care. Let's see. Sorry, I got an email blocking my clicker. Um, same idea here, corporate credit spread. So it's a different variation to what I was just talking about. How do you complement an inverted yield curve with credit spreads to look for risk? You see the gray bars on the screen are where recessions are. So, you know, corporate uh, credit spreads were elevated, certainly in those time periods. We're not really there. We're just kind of hanging out at a very historical norm, low level mark. It means there's not a lot of risk in the, in the corporate, corporate system just yet. So. These are things where we're looking for the tea leaves. Uh, that's a boring chart. Um, once again, inflation, inflation. Remember, my three-part cake is what? We need earnings. We need midterms. We need inflation to have something, right? So producer price index, right? This is the, the cost at the wholesale level of inflationary pressures. If you're looking at the chart, obviously in the last year, the blue line and the red line went up like a missile and they're rolling over. Rolling over is good, right? We need rolling over. So on the very right side of the screen, see if I can make this bigger. That didn't make it any bigger. Um, but on the right side of the screen where you see it rolling over, that's important to us. Same, here's a different variation on it. The producer, uh, uh, the PPI, producer price inflation, same thing, core and total. Once again, went up like a missile on the right side of the screen. It's all rolling over at the moment. These are good leading indicators of probably the direction of inflation if we can get the producer wholesale level of inflation to soften. Some of this is the benefit of the supply chain stuff normalizing. Producer price inflation, what's called final demand, just another variation. They look at it year over year versus a six-month total. You'll notice that big red line went up like a missile. 
It's coming straight down. It's falling like a rock. These are all positive things that inflation is probably moving in the right direction. What's ironic right now is all the leading indicators, all of the things that put the pressure of inflation out there, they're all rolling over. The only thing that's not rolling over is the actual inflation at this point from the calculation. So there's some more work to do. This one's a hideous green chart. This is hard to see. Uh, this is out of the, the hoity-toity Bloomberg terminal. So this was hard to track down, but I was able to get my fingers on it. Basically what the top half shows is you see this like green blob on the screen and the top line shows what mortgage rates are and the bottom line shows the 10 year treasuries. And you'll notice that on the green lines, they move identical. These things are attached at the hip. They move identically. And so when you have a spike in the 10 year treasury, you have a spike in these mortgage rates. The bottom section though, where it just looks like little mountains coming up and coming down. This shows the disparity in percentage that even though those two things are moving together, how wide are they physically getting? How far away is a, a 7% mortgage versus a 4% 10-year treasury? And you notice on the far right side of the screen, if you can see my little mouse moving, we're at the highest spread between those two numbers in 25 years. Typically, just like the last time this happened a couple of years ago, just like this happened in the early 2000s, typically when that happens, that's when mortgage rates roll back over. So they're pretty extended right now. They're pretty crazy. This type of a chart would indicate that mortgage rates probably getting into next year are going to roll back over and have a little bit of breather room. I have to admit, man, talking by myself, this is boring and exhausting and and unclimactic i i i need tana here as, a, as my human punching bag to to listen to me so uh these ones are very different charts but i think they're very fascinating and and really important because we all lose perspective pretty quickly one of the things that we talk about constantly is how our our debt now is at 31 trillion is it a lot of money yes is it a boatload of money absolutely is it irresponsible hands down is it unprecedented? Uh, not necessarily. And so the disconnect with our national debt is people don't really understand the math inside of it. So when you look at our $31 trillion that is reported, like on usdebtclock.org, only $24 trillion is actual real debt held by the public that we own, that we're obligated to. The other $7 trillion that's listed in there is basically internal IOUs that the government has created for itself, which is a bunch of weird noise, weird accounting. It's really goofy at best. The pure hardcore debt that we're concerned about is really 24 trillion. Now to that theme, when you look at the chart that I have on the screen here, it shows our federal debt as a percentage of our GDP. Remember, I don't want to be in debt. As a personal human being, I don't like debt. I think we should all be provident living kind of people, get out of debt, be responsible. I think that is great. However, it is relative. If I have $20,000 in debt and I make $100,000 a year, well, you know, maybe that's a manageable amount of debt. Do I want it? Not necessarily, but everything is relative. And so what this chart shows, you can see it goes all the way back to 1940 and it shows our federal debt as a percentage of our GDP, remember GDP, gross domestic product, the totality of all of the goods and services that are produced on an annual basis. And so 
right now we're sitting at about 100% of GDP. Well, you know, back in the 40s, we were also sitting at 100% GDP. And you can see it came down quite a bit and then it cycled up and then it came down and then it kind of made the all-time highs, obviously making that final push here in the last couple of years to get back to that 100% mark. And then lately, it's actually been rolling over a little bit mathematically. That's because our GDP has been increasing as the economy is reopening and things are renormalizing. We really do have a, a bang in GDP at the moment on all cylinders at about $25 trillion. So just kind of historically interesting, a little bit of context to our, our debt. The other one that's interesting, so I kind of got myself in a rabbit hole. I like to, I think I've said before, I like to lay on my daughter's bed at night waiting for them to fall asleep. And I, I go down little uh, economic rabbit holes on my iPad trying to find information. And so I thought that this was another way to look at this that was rather interesting. This is when you look at our interest payments as a percentage of our GDP, because remember in the last chart, let me go back one chart. Maybe we're not historically higher than we've ever been. We've been here in the past. I don't like it. I am not personally happy about it. I think this sucks. But then again, on the same token, when I look at the interest payments we're making on the debt, right now our average interest payments are all below 3% in totality. Um, I mean, well, you see it on this chart here. So we're below the 3% mark. It's been coming up a little bit lately as we're refinancing the debt at some higher interest rates. But really, from 1960, we're just at the low water mark as the amount of money we're paying in interest relative to our GDP. We're paying a lot of money relative to our tax revenue. The tax revenue is fundamentally different than the GDP, the productivity of our country. Will our country keep functioning? Will it keep growing the economy, growing the GDP? It makes these things feel a little more negligible. But you can see it's amazing from the 80s all, you know, for almost 20 years, you know, we were paying the better part of double, you know, interest relative to our GDP. So nothing's perfect. I believe that we need fiscally responsible people in our government to help get these things under control. What that means, who knows? Um, perhaps on a side note as a positive though, um, at least not to our, maybe not to our country's finances, but to you as individuals, it is official. I should have had a, some kind of fancy chart or balloons come up or something, but it is official that in January, the cost of living adjustment on social security is going to be 8.7%. That's pretty incredible, right? That's going to be the largest cost of living adjustment in 40 years. So we've been saying for a couple months, it should be somewhere between eight and 10. Well, it's in, it hit the books, 8.7%. Medicare, it's not increasing at the moment. It sounds like it might go down a couple percentage points. So either way, everyone's going to get a nice little bump on their social security that will help the misery of inflation at the moment. Um, the chaos of high gases here in, in California. Also, a separate thing to be aware of is you should have also received a uh, some kind of stimulus payment from your boy Newsom. He sent it out payments last week, so those should have hit your accounts. If you didn't end up getting it, it's something that you'll be able to settle up for on your tax return. I think for the most people, it's somewhere around 600 bucks. But in any case, you know, quick video. Just kind of wanted to go through a couple obvious things. I think that um, I think that that hundred percent bid on the Nasdaq a week or two ago. I think that that was a very fascinating phenomenon. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I think that our country needs a lot of healing in a lot of different ways, and I just pray that we can finally get some um, uh, fiscally responsible human beings in 
government places to save all of our cabooses. But hey, appreciate all the listeners. Please give us a call, 805-500-7035. Please uh, visit our website, thelindgroup.com. You got any questions, comments, concerns? If you're freaking out, obviously that's why we're here. Call me, call Tana, call the office. We can certainly help you out. So I realized this video was much less pleasant with me talking uh, at a pretty fast rate, maybe. So sorry about that. But anyways, we'll get Tana back in action soon enough. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to The Wealth Puzzle. Don't pay too much for taxes or retire without a sound income plan. For more information, please contact Michael Mansfield at The Lind Group. Call 805-500-7035 or visit them online at thelindgroup.com. All matters discussed during this show are for informational purposes only. Each individual situation may vary and the opinions expressed here may not apply to everyone. Materials presented are believed to be from reliable sources and no representations can be made as to its accuracy. All ideas and information should be discussed in detail with one of our qualified representatives prior to implementation. Fee-based financial planning and investment advisory services are offered by the Lynn Group Advisors LLC, a registered investment advisor in the state of California. Insurance products and services are offered through the Lynn Group LLC. The Lynn Group LLC and the Lynn Group Advisors LLC are not affiliated companies. Lynn Group LLC the Lynn Group Advisors LLC and Michael Mansfield are not affiliated with or endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any government agency.